Welcome to Real Marketers, where we hear from marketers who move fast, ask forgiveness, not permission, obsess about driving results, and are filled to the brim with crazy ideas and the guts to implement them. This is not a fireside chat, and there's absolutely no bullshit allowed here. And I'm your host, Stephanie Cox. I have more than 15 years of marketing experience, and I've pretty much done about everything in my career. I believe speed is better than perfection. I use the Oxford comma. I love Coca-Cola, have exceptionally high standards, and surround myself with people who get shit done. On this show, my guests and I will push boundaries, share the real truths about marketing, and empower you to become a real marketer. Where are all of my recovering perfectionists at? I know I'm definitely one of them. I spent all of my childhood and a portion of my adult life trying to be perfect until I realized that it was exhausting and it was okay to let it go. I didn't have to be perfect all the time and I didn't have to have complete control. Don't get me wrong. It was scary at first, but it was ultimately really freeing. And that's exactly what I'm talking about with today's guest. In this episode, we chat with Leslie Bloom, VP of Marketing at Dazuki. She has 15 years of marketing and design experience. We're talking about what it's like to be a recovering perfectionist, learning to get over needing to have constant control, handling feedback, leading marketing in an industry where you don't have previous experience, and so much more. So my first question always is, tell me something that very few people know about you. Uh, gosh, you know, start with a small question, right? <laughs> Why don't you? Um, I would have to say myself, uh, not a lot of people know probably cause I try to hide it a little bit, but that I am a reformed control freak. Uh, so meaning I used to be, you know, perfect, perfect, perfect. Everything has to have my say, my approval and things, but I've since kind of let that go roll off my shoulders for all sorts of different reasons. Oh, it's just preaching to the choir. Same for me. It's been a struggle, I think, you know, especially early on in my career to realize like I can't in fact control everything. And especially like I'm a mom of twin 14 year olds and you definitely can't control teenagers. So <laughs> <Yeah>. I try. <laughs> um, so I haven't even thought about applying that to parenting, but yeah, holy okay. cow. That's a, a yeah. whole other reason to do it. Yeah, It really is. It'll if be you have it, if for those listening, if you haven't given it a shot, try it for a week and see how it goes. You know, it's, it's worth it. It is. So tell me a little bit about like how you came to that. How do you go from, you know, wanting to control everything to being okay with like this idea that you can't, but you can still feel accomplished at the end of the day, even if it's not done the way that you would want to do it. Yeah. I think, um, you know, for me, there's like, you mentioned parenthood, there's so many different like contexts in our lives where you can be a control freak. And for me, it was like, some of it became like a mental health, like, gosh, I just feel so stressed all the time. I'm so, so burdened. Why is this the case? And, you know, with work in particular, having been an individual contributor, you know, for years that you want to put your best foot forward, you want to produce things that are going to wow and just knock the socks off of everybody. But you can't have a home run all the time and wanting to have that burden on your shoulders with the idea that, you know, you're striving for perfection at all times. It's just unsustainable. You know, you can hit it sometimes, but to give yourself some slack and some leeway to say, you know, sometimes a done is better than perfect here. And that I just got to kind of move on to the next thing. And then all of a sudden, 
you know, the clouds part and you see the sun and you're just like, wow, I'm still accomplishing everything I wanted to be it in my work uh, life or at my home and personal life. And I'm just, you know, letting kind of the small stuff go. And it, it just is kind of liberating, you know, and um, you can still achieve, I found at least I can still achieve everything I want to without just being so wound tight about it all the time or worried it's not going to go exactly how I imagined. So. Do you think that part of that is harder for marketers because we're held to these, I would say like somewhat unrealistic standards that like everything gets knocked out of the park all the time. And what you see on social media is, you know, every marketer is killing it always. Do you think like it's harder for us to sometimes like be willing to let go because we're so afraid of failure or we're so afraid that it's not going to be done right. And someone, you know, above us is going to call us out on that. Yeah, I would definitely say so. Cause as you know, as marketers, our job is public. The, the work we do can be very public. Um, and so it's going to be scrutinized by from every which way from people of all different perspectives, you know, internal, external, and that, yeah, it's just, it creates this pressure cooker that can be hard to try to kind of protect yourself from. So I think it's definitely unique for marketers, um, but I'd imagine there's other like aspects of any organization might feel the same way. You know, product would come to mind. Um, yeah. No, I completely agree. When you're saying that, I was just thinking like, why is it that everyone feels like, Hey, I saw this on the website. I have an opinion about that. And I'm like, I would never like come tell you I have an opinion about how your code looks. Like, why do you feel like you can tell me you have an opinion about like the tagline or the headline on this page? A hundred percent. Yeah. You right? can't be everything to everybody. Um, I have a background and I was a graphic designer for a while too. And you know, everyone's also a designer, you know, like, well, why is it that color? And I'd move it this way. And I don't like the way that looks, but it's like, you know, we're not hitting for a hundred percent, you know, perfection or, uh, approval here. You know, we'd be happy if we hit 50 or whatever that threshold might be. So you've had obviously like leadership roles before. How do you balance that when, you know, everyone does have an opinion and you can't be all things to all people, but everyone still feels like the need to tell you their opinion. How do you get people to say like, well, you're not our target target audience. So while, you know, thank you for your feedback. I also don't care. How, how do you talk <laughs> about handling that in your career? Cause I feel like that's something that is every marketer deals with. And like, no one wants to talk about is when you get the feedback where you're just like, that's great that you feel that way. But let's be honest, like we're not selling to you. A hundred percent. Yeah. So one of our company values um, at Dazuki is actually uh, communicate fearlessly. And so, you know, we invite that. I don't, uh, I can't say that I'm the best at accepting it. You know, I know I can always do better. Um, But, you know, there's, there's certainly a tact, like you said, to, uh, maybe kicking the can or, um, you know, taking, internalizing that or having just a running list or, you know, for me, I think a valuable tool is just actively listening. Even if you're not formally documenting, um, there's value there um, that you can kind of sit on and maybe, you know, I'm guilty of this for sure, that my gut reaction might be to be defensive and say, oh no, like you're not like, ugh, I don't, I can't hear that right now, right? That's not helpful. But if you, you know, you're an active listener, you internalize it, sleep on it, wake up the next day with a fresh perspective, there might be something there that then you can go 
um, attribute some credit to that person who seeded that idea to you. And, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. So, you know, why wouldn't we try to at least be open to that? Frankly, easier said than done, right? But um, there's, that's, it has to hit true in all aspects of our life, not just work. So uh, <laughs> it's, that's a question for the ages, I'd imagine. It really is. Well, and it made me think of, you know, something else, this idea that, you know, I'm hearing your feedback and you're pointing out something like we already know, right, where you have a plan to fix. And how do you, in those situations, respond to it without it coming across as defensive when in reality you're trying to explain to them, like, thanks for the feedback. We're already aware. Here's the plan to fix it. Like, you're almost trying to, like, educate. But I think sometimes when I know, like, I've seen other people do that. They're like, oh, they're being defensive. I'm like, well, they're also just trying to let you know that like, this is a known issue. So how have you handled those situations in the past? Mm. I think it's always helpful to, um, and you know, at our company, we're not super huge. So it's easy to communicate um, across teams right now, or, you know, um, internally with all groups is definitely to at least provide a little bit of background or education to that person who raised the point of how you reach the conclusion of what's out there that's receiving feedback. Because I think sometimes that can then become a two-way conversation of, you know, not only uh, saying like, hey, you know, we didn't just randomly do this thing. Like we're, we're thinking through the decisions that we make, even the smallest ones, um, you know, someone has a thought process behind it and, you know, here's maybe where we diverged um, and where your feedback would have come into play or was mentioned and we, you know, took the right turn instead of the left turn or something. Um, while also, you know, trying to be authentic and say, Hey, listen, you know, like, trust us, we're the, we're the marketing org or we, we think about these things in a different way because it's our area of specialization or, um, you know, we understand the audiences in these different ways. Um, it would be a lot harder if it really was just a gut call, <laughs> which stuff we, we all have to make sometimes, you know, um, that's where I don't think I would be able to have like a really solid answer, but have, I welcome any thoughts from you if you might have, you know, had a similar experience and uh, something to learn from that. Well, sometimes my, you know, my gut response that I say quietly inside my head is, I mean, because I know what I'm doing, I don't <laughs> say it out loud, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, I mean, cause I've done this for a long time. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, I think it a lot of times is, you know, I've just realized over the years, it's so important to, when someone gives you feedback to understand what the goal of their feedback is, right? Some people just need to be heard. Totally. Um, they don't like expect you to do anything with it, right? But they want to know that they contributed to the process. Whereas other people, you know, want to put their fingerprints on it. And, you know, they, they need you to hear what they say. And even if you disagree with like, not 100% of it, like, you take some aspect of it and use it to influence it, because that's how they get, you know, drive value or see value, especially I think, at you know, the senior leadership level. So that's how I've really handled it in the past. But there have been times too where, and I think some of my listeners have heard this, me say this before, where I know I'm 100% right because I've done this a long time. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting idea, which if people who know me real well go, when Stephanie says that's an interesting idea, it's not an interesting idea. It really isn't. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm about to humor you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and typically what I'll do is I'll say, okay, like, well, let's test that out. Let's test out what you want us to test. 
because I know, you know, right now it's opinion. I know I can put data behind it and I'm pretty confident that I know what the answer will be. And so a lot of times I'll say like, let's run a test between what I'm thinking and what you're thinking. And let's see what, ha- let's see what the data shows us. If I'm wrong, let's do what you're thinking. You know, let's do what you're thinking. And most of the time I'm not, but occasionally I am. And I'm just like, awesome, great idea. Like, let's get that implemented. So that's how I've handled it. Now I know in your situation, you know, in the company you're at today, right? You're selling to manufacturers and you have no experience as a manufacturer or selling to manufacturers prior to this role. So there's a lot of opportunity probably for feedback for, to you on so many different levels. How do you think about trying to figure out how to sell to an audience that you've never been in their shoes really at all? Yeah. So I think this is like, this really does dovetail to like accepting that feedback from other people because, you know, I've, you, when you have a challenge like that, where you're kind of flying blind at first here, there's a lot of self-education that has to happen to whatever industry that's totally fresh to you. You really have to humble yourself. You really have to say, I don't know squat. I need to learn. And there's people here, maybe at my organization, maybe there are CSMs, maybe there are AEs who have had you know, conversations with folks in that industry and they can share with me. So I have to really welcome that feedback. Um, and like I said, actively listen to it because it's going to help me do my job, uh, a lot better than if I just went, you know, out into the world and tried to do it myself. You know, why wouldn't I try to leverage this internal, um, you know, brain trust that I have right in front of me, who we have shared collective goals, why wouldn't we work together here to try to accomplish this? You know, why do I, why would I start trying to read the industry reports or um, whatever, just start Googling when I can, you know, call someone up? Well, we're all remote now. So I'd slack them or, you know, call them up, get on a zoom call to, to talk about these things. But previously in office, you know, walk over 10 feet to their desk and ask them for an hour of their time or whatever. Um, that's been really kind of eye opening for me in terms of like cross departmental functions and, um, you know, like relationship building, because once I was able to come into the org and ask those folks to share their experiences and any stories with me, it really opened the door to accept that feedback that we're talking about that we might not want all the time, but it also has provided an avenue to, for me to provide feedback in that way and just kind of have stronger relationships with more people across the organization that I, I didn't really expect. Um, and that's, you know, I like working with people. I like being a part of a team and that's, you know, kind of like a side effect of getting to know the industry and its challenges. Um, but it's been a, a boon as well, you know. So when you first took this role, like, you know, what were you thinking around? Like, how do you get best prepared just even starting out to sell something to someone where you haven't done that before? Because I think a lot of times by nature, a lot of marketers and even just and probably any business professional, like we want to do something that we've done before, or at least a large portion of it enough where we can come in and, you know, be kick ass like right away. So, you know, in this situation, obviously you've done marketing before successfully, but how do you think about like, you know, did you have any fear that that was going to translate to, you know, this new industry? 
how you would get up to speed and prove that you know you were the right hire quickly and have those quick wins that so many of us seem desperate to have when we start new roles. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what that was like for you. So that was, you know, I think some of what led me to become a bit of a, a reformed control freak, you know, is kind of letting go a little bit and knowing like, hey, I'm going to fail along the way here. Um, our product, we didn't really know that uh, what we were building even because, you know, my peers on our on the product side of the organization were also going through the learning process of, you know, what to manufacturers and industrial companies need, what challenges are they solving? So I'm not going to fail alone though. Um, and that I'm grateful that I am, you know, work under leadership and in a culture where like, that's not, you know, that's not the end all be all. You're not going to get, get canned because you, you failed, um, you know, early on a couple of times, but that it, what am I trying to say here? It really was about kind of giving yourself a, uh, the grace to, to try something and that that's where you have to kind of get something out there, like you said, and test it and see what happens and learn from it and improve. So you're just taking kind of like these baby steps until you can really start to feel that momentum behind you. And then, you know, one day it pretty much was like, kind of this light bulb idea of like, holy cow, no one that's selling to manufacturers in like the software space is really truly doing, you know, uh, content-based like inbound marketing. Like we can win here very quickly and very easily because we failed the, you know, a few steps along the way. I inherited pretty much an event-driven trade show attendance, like probably 90% of our marketing and sales funnel was driven by trade shows. And so I just kind of was putzing along in that framework for quite a while in the back of my head, knowing like, this is not sustainable. We can't do this forever. Then, you know, once that like, let's do inbound, you know, learning about our potential competitors, no one's doing this. Like, let's go there. You know, we were, we were off like a rocket, which was, you know, fantastic. But that was because I let myself fail in, you know, learning how to talk to those people, what they cared about, what they were, um, you know, influenced any of their decisions at all in the marketing world or the manufacturing world, excuse me. Well, one of the things that I just thought when you were talking was this idea of failure and how no one fails alone. I think it's such a powerful message. A lot of times we all think that if we screw something up or we don't do it the way it's supposed to be, or we don't get the results that we were hoping to get, were the failure. But in reality, like, you're not alone, right? Unless I guess maybe you're a consultant and you're doing it by yourself completely. (laughs) Right? You work as a team, like there are other people that have contributed to the idea that were part of the process. So you're really, you know, your failure is absorbed by everyone and ultimately impacts the business, not just you. And I think sometimes separating yourself and saying, like, you know, I didn't fail, like we failed. And that's okay because we're going to learn from it and move on versus like I failed and taking that all and internalizing it. I think it's so hard for people sometimes to get to recover from, uh, especially early on in their career. Totally. And I think that when, you know, that whole concept of we don't fail alone is there's probably a fine line, right? Where you're not becoming a, a finger pointer. They're just like, well, this wasn't just me. Like everybody else is going down with me type of approach. Like we're not, that's certainly not what uh, either of us us would be advocating for. Right. Um, 
it's it's more about you know and you know some of it's going to come down to the personalities at play right like like most things do you know you might have a really um ego-driven leader that you have to work for who is going to, you know, pile it on all onto you, uh, which, you know, would be tough to work under for a long time. I, we've all had bosses like that. I know. So. Yes. So what, like kind of, I think the next thing that would be really interesting to talk about is around teams, right? So I know that you obviously manage a team and care a lot about your team. So I'd love to talk about like, as you think about getting feedback from your team, as you think about leading them, you know, how do you structure a team to be successful and really able to deal with these constant changes and wins and failures that you have, especially as you scale a company? Yeah, I think, you know, this is, we all have these challenges. Um, and I think one really easy place for to start and that I've learned a lot from is just how I run one-on-ones with my teams, my direct reports. So, you know, what is that time for? I've worked for people where I get the ear of my, you know, the undivided attention of my um, manager, you know, for whatever, an hour a week, hour every week and a half. And he's not giving me his attention. He's on his computer multitasking because he's got a million things on his plate. And I'm frustrated because I'm trying to do a good job and, you know, get feedback um, from him of how to do better, where we need to improve, but he won't give me, you know, frankly, the time of day. So like, that's a pretty easy place to start. You know, if you're going to have a a one-on-one with a um, member of your team, you know, focus on the one-on-one. Don't try to multitask and, you know, answer to use it as a time to answer your emails or respond to Slack messages and stuff. Because like, frankly, I just think that's disrespectful. Um, And it's always helpful to put yourself in the other person's shoes. You know, how would you perceive something like that? Um, And then, you know, what do you talk about in the one-on-ones? I think it's really tempting to use that undivided time to just do status updates, talk about performance, maybe, um, you know, they're, what they're doing wrong or, uh, you know, missteps or what you want them to do in the future. Um, but I, you know, in our one-on-ones with my team, we probably spend the first quarter of that time just shooting, shooting the breeze, you know, kind of building that rapport, getting to know each other. And it's not just one way getting to understand, um, them and their interests, maybe, uh, what they, are all about as a person, but, you know, I share that about myself as well. So like really being authentic, I think builds a really strong rapport, two-way trust between the two of you so that if they do have a problem or a a challenge or something, you don't want them to withhold that. You want them to tell you so you can resolve it so they can do a better job. Um, And a big thing that you can learn in those conversations is what motivates them. Um, You know, there's tactical ways of doing that, you know, like not what motivates you? You know, some people it's money, some people it's uh, responsibility and like growth within that organization. For some people, it's just like doing cool stuff, like being experimental or having a leeway to, you know, um, have, you know, like 10% time or something where 10% of their time is spent, um, you know, learning something different that might be able to be applied to the organization. Um, in a, in a different capacity or something. So, um, I think that, you know, there, this is a huge topic, right? Like 
managing your people, but it really just comes down to building a rapport and like being authentic with them. So they see you as a person and not just a boss. Well, and that's why I think, you know, if you do a good job at that, people want to work for you for multiple years at different companies. And when you go somewhere else, right, they follow you, which to yeah, me is the best definition of a good leader. Yeah, that's, I haven't um, had the privilege of being able to, you know, move to a different role, like take my people with me type of thing. But yeah, that, that would be great. Of course. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting when you're talking about one-on-ones and like focusing your time. I, you know, I think we have similar approaches. I tell my team, like our one-on-one is your time. We talk about what you want to talk about, right? Because Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you real-time feedback on your performance whenever, you know, you've done things really well or when there's areas for improvement, you know, I'm going to see if I have a question about like a status report on a project, I'm going to look on our project management tool. And if not, I'm going to slack you and ask, right? Um, But this is the time for you to talk to me about what matters to you. And that might be like, hey, I need you to answer these questions. It might be like, you want to talk about your career and what's next? We want to talk about like, why was this decision made? And help help me understand like the things that you thought about when you made it, right? Because I want to learn better. But to me, it's always, you know, what matters to you? And I think the other thing is, you know, I've been that person. And this happened to me actually in a one-on-one this week where, um, so personal quick story, my stepfather was in a really bad accident. He fell like 23 feet a couple weeks ago and I never answer my phone during meetings. And my mom usually doesn't call during the day, but she called and I didn't answer. I was like, oh, that's weird. And then, you know, when I didn't listen to her voicemail there, obviously it was very much an emergency, but So now since that happened, she'll call me during the day. And so like my reaction when she called, when I see her number pop up, like on my screen or on my watch and I'm talking to someone on video, I, my whole team knows, but I'll be like, I'm really, really, really sorry, but I need to pause for one second and make sure that like, there is not another emergency with my family right now. And I think, you know, or, you know, there's been times where like, you know, with, we're a software company as well. We're like, something is like, there is like a legit emergency. I, t- I don't like try and continue what I'm t- doing and pretend like I'm paying attention. I'll say, hold on for one second. I am very, very sorry, but I need to like respond to this because it literally cannot wait. Um, but otherwise, like I don't try and multitask while I'm on a, a call with someone that is a one-on-one because I feel like to your point, it's just, people just hate it. They know you're not engaged. Um, I think sometimes too that, and I don't know if everyone else is feeling this way or not, but I use a webcam for Zoom and it's like on top of my, you know, big widescreen monitor. And so it looks down. So I'm always like wondering, does it look like I'm looking at the camera because I'm looking at your video, which is not like my eye contact is not the same place as my camera is, but where I can see you. And I'm like, I'm highly engaged and I hope you know that. These are all my inner thoughts. Well, I mean, let's be real. No one's look, everyone's looking at their own video when they're on a Zoom meeting, right? I mean, (laughs) but I can't turn it off. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think what you're talking, what you mentioned there about saying, I'm so sorry, I have to do this is a form of being authentic. You know, you're not trying to answer a text message or whatever at the same time and stuff, but just like time out real quick. Is your stepfather okay? Right. Oh yes, yeah. Yeah, for real. It's. I hope he's doing okay because that's that sounds tough. 
it was rough. It was definitely rough. It was, and well, it is, and I think I'm like a heightened sense of alert because it was rough. He fell, my parents have 128 acres. And when he fell, my mom wasn't home. And thankfully he didn't hit his head. So he was able to call 911, but they just sent out search and rescue and keep pinging his phone to find him. It took him like 90 minutes to find him. He has, you know, broke both of his legs, all kind, you know. Oh my God, wow. Ribs, all kinds of stuff. Very, wow. very lucky to be alive. But like, I'm also now like, kind of they talk about you know that sense of like fear or like worry i'm not normally that way but now like every time my mom calls me i have this like sense of like oh god i hope everything's okay um and i think eventually that will go away <laughs> probably once he gets is able to come home from the hospital and stuff but like right now like she did that she did that to me today and i was on a one on one with someone i'm like i am so so sorry but i need to answer this because i don't know what's going on yeah and now, but here's the, this is the funny part of it. Now, my mom, you know, is calling me today because now like she's been conditioned over the past couple of weeks that I'll answer my phone every time she calls. And so <laughs> she's like calling to ask me about like the things she needs to get before my stepdad can come home from the hospital and where she should get it. And I'm just like, can you just like send me a picture of what you need? And I will just order it and have it sent to your house. <laughs> I really can't talk to you right now. Um, <laughs> Which, right, but, like, then yesterday when she called me, um, and I wasn't in a meeting, but it was during the middle of the day, like, she actually really did need me for something, like, super important. So it's kind of, like, this weird situation now where, like, I'm conditioned to answer my phone now when I see her number come up, no matter what's going on. Um, and now, she, like, you know, because I do that, she's been conditioned that she can call me all the time, <laughs> all the times of the day. Yeah. Whereas, like, before this, I would have been, if she did that, I would have been like, Mom, you know I have, like, a job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Like, I know you're retired. Just chat in the middle of the day. Yeah. Correct. Right. I'm like, I'm working. Well, you're working at home. No, I know, but I'm actually working more than I was in the office. Yeah. Now so. I feel like we've pivoted into like a therapy session. So, yeah, you know, lay back on the couch. Yeah. Tell me more about how your mom is calling you at work at all hours and how you set boundaries with your mom. Right. <laughs> if, if anyone has any solutions, let me know. Um, yeah, I think that should be your next podcast for sure. Uh, you know, marketing therapy, something like that. <laughs> right. Oh, it's so much. It's yeah, it's fun, but it's things that right. Like we all to back to your point about being authentic. We're all people, and we're all dealing with these situations, both personally and professionally, and trying to do the best. And I think sometimes if you just tell your team, "Here's what I'm dealing with," you know, or you know, I try and be as transparent as I can, especially with like com company decisions. You know, there's things obviously I can't tell them, but as much as I can, I, I try to because one, I want them to learn why a decision was made, what we considered. Um, but then also because I just find like, you know, the more open and upfront I am about things, the more trust I think I get. But also they understand like, you know, sometimes hard decisions are made and they're not easy. And sometimes decisions that seem easy, you know, should have been a lot harder and there should have been more thought into it. So I, I try and like help, especially when you manage a young team and share as much of that as possible, because it's surprising how much every single interaction you have with a leader will influence the rest of your life from a career standpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think when you, I'm right there with you, like being as transparent as you're allowed to be, right? Like you said, you can't share everything, but that I think when you do that, you provide a level of empowerment to people to feel like they're um, involved in that, like that destiny that we're all trying to work towards because they kind of know the map, you know, whereas if you 
are just doing your job every single day and you've got your performance metrics that you're trying to hit that, you know, we, we go through the motions of, but you don't, there's no, um, sharing of that larger context, like for the company, it, it doesn't mean as much. It doesn't, it's not as, um, uh, motivating maybe. And you feel like you're like in a vacuum. And especially now that most of us are all working from home, it's even harder to feel like you're part of something bigger. And, you know, we all, I think at certain level want to feel that way. And that if you can do that, you can, those, those folks can nod their heads along and kind of say, okay, okay, cool. Yeah. I can impact that. I, I have purpose. Um, and that, you know, that is, can be a huge motivator for people. And like you said, forever and ever. Exactly. Forever and ever. Mm -hmm. This is for all of my fellow type A personalities that strive for perfection and love control. We all need to be a little bit more like Elsa and just let it go. Perfection is overrated. Trust me on this one. Marketing in life is a lot more enjoyable when you stop trying to be perfect and control everything. You've been listening to Real Marketers. If you love what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. And don't forget to tell a friend. All of this marketing goodness shouldn't be kept a secret.